We've entitled this morning's message, Show Us the Father, comes right from the context, as you can see. I would state to you today that that is a cry of the ages. Although different words maybe have been used throughout the centuries, and maybe have been used by different generations and by different people, even in different tongues, man's desire is to see God. Man does want to see God. This has continued since the creation of man. Man wants some visual aid. He wants to see what God looks like. And if there is a God, he wants to see him. And where do we go to look? We are material people. We are made up of substance. We have material things. And yet we are told in Scripture, if you turn with me to John chapter 4 for one second, we'll come back to our text. John chapter 4, we'll do a little jumping around in John today. But in John chapter 4, let me remind you that in verse 24, we have learned this. God is spirit. That's his nature. That's his essence. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And allow me for a second to just go down a little tangent here to point out that it is not about doing things. It is not about activity. It's not about religiousness. This church, any other church, it's got nothing to do with the concept of trying to worship God by outwardly doing things because God himself in his essence is spirit and he has to be worshipped in our hearts. He has to be worshipped from the inside out first. And so people must worship him in spirit and in truth. What that is also saying to us is basically this. God, unlike us, is not restricted to time or to space. We are restricted to space. If we are here, we are not out there, very simply put. If we are living in 2010, almost 2011, we can't talk about 1900. We weren't there. I think I've covered everybody. And if we go back, uh, go forward, and the Lord tarries, and we get into the year 2050, many who are here right now won't be there. I being one of them. Okay, it's not going to happen. We are restricted to time and space. That is not true with God. If it was, he wouldn't be God. That's why before the creation of the world, we find out God is from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. He is always. He always was, always will be. Fundamental in understanding of God. The world knows it. Whether they believe it or not is another story. So he is not restricted to time and space. We are... He is not flesh and blood. We are. And so how can we learn about him? How can we, who are restricted to time and space, learn about a God who is spirit, who's not restricted to time and space, let alone see him? Rather challenging question, don't you think? And I think appropriate for people to try to understand through the ages. They want to see God. Well, we can learn about him, first of all, through creation. We know that. Unfortunately, and listen adults, take this to heart. Unfortunately, 
Many of our young people are not looking at creation because adults haven't taught them how to do it. Let me make it real simple. Have you ever watched a beautiful sunset with gorgeous pink, orange, bright skies with a blue background getting the picture? And some people just look at that and say, oh, marvelous. It is marvelous, but it's teaching you something. When you see flowers that are right now dying and appears to be death all around us with the leaves falling down, which is a pain in the neck to blow and rake, what you will see in the spring as new life come forth, that is teaching you something. You see? Adults don't take the time to enjoy or smell the roses, so to speak. No wonder our children don't. They don't know about God because adults aren't teaching them about God because adults don't know about God. My point, though, is that creation does teach us, but it's limited. It teaches us about the power of God. There's absolutely no way you can watch a storm or see an ocean with waves pulverize the seashore without realizing that creation is teaching you something about power and someone who created it has got to be more powerful. And some of the things that I referred to this morning, the beauty, the majesty, it is teaching you about God, but it's limited because it can only go so far. Second, we have the Bible, the written account, the Word of God, written in today in so many different languages and made available so it doesn't matter whether you're Hungarian, it doesn't matter whether you're ta Taiwanese, it doesn't matter whether you're American or French or Italian, you can get the Bible and you can read it, never mind what everybody thinks about it, read it for yourself and find out what it says. That's what I had to do to come to salvation. Okay, we have that, and it's a good source, and it uh, puts things together for us, and yet still, as a good source, it's still hard for us to put, all together, put everything all together, even as we look at the Bible, it's still a challenge, uh, because God is still a spirit. So, it still leaves us wanting to know how can we actively see him. The best source that we have... Okay, and we need something material because that's the world we live in. We need to see things. We need to touch things. The best source that we actually have is Jesus Christ. Why? Well, it's interesting. I've said this to you many times. I repeat it again. I never cease to be amazed. I did not sit down with Pastor Chris and pick out the music. He did that. We work together all the time. We're talking. We're praying together all the time. But he is responsible for the music. I didn't know what he was going to pick. He didn't know what I was going to say this morning. But in my notes, and it's got nothing to do with what he picked out as well, I have in my notes for us to turn to Matthew 1.22. Let's turn there. Why can we go to Jesus Christ? Well, let the scriptures tell us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Okay, we'll pick it up there. Now, all this, all this what? The birth of Jesus Christ, what happened to Mary, what happened to Joseph, took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. Many know the Christmas story. And she'll bear a son, and what are they going to call him? This is what you sang this morning. Emmanuel. What does that mean? We don't have to guess. The scriptures translate it. It means what? Give me the three words. God with us. 
That's what it is. That's what his name means. That's what is revealed to us here. Jesus Christ, the reason he's a good source is that is God with us. He came, according to John chapter 1, verse 18, he came to manifest, he came to reveal, he came to disclose, he came to explain. I'm using that for my purposes all as synonyms. He used to explain, to manifest, to show who the Father is. In other words, all that Jesus Christ is and all that he does both explains and reveals or shows God. The simplest way to put it. Everything that he is and everything that he does that the person of Jesus Christ reveals and teaches us about God. In our context back in John chapter 14, as we well know if you've been here week after week, we know that he's in the upper room discourse with his disciples and he's carrying that on. Jesus has just confronted them with the fact that he's leaving. He is leaving and he is going back to the Father, remember, to prepare a place for them. He's still active today. But he also said that he's coming again. Not only has he gone to prepare a place, but he is coming again. And why is he doing that? So the believers can be with him where he is. So he's not only gone and is actively working, but he is coming again, and he's coming again just not to appear to the world, though he will do that, but also so the believers can now be with him in the place that God's prepared for him. In response to that, we saw last week in verse 5, if you just look there for a moment, the man that's called Doubting Thomas, who I said last week, I'm so thankful for this man. He had very practical questions, and if we're honest, it's the same questions we have. And Thomas said to him in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and we don't know the way. We don't know where you're really going, and how are we going to get there? Pretty simple. What were the answers that God gave? There were two answers. He gave the answers to both questions. Number one, he said that he was going to the Father. That is, in heaven. He was going to the Father, and then he says, you do know the way. What's the way? He said, I am the way. Jesus Christ said that. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then, in case we didn't understand the English, or if you want to be technical, for those of you that are thinking that way, if we didn't understand the Greek, what he's saying to us is this. At the end of the verse, that it's the Father. No one comes unto the Father but by me. That's exclusive. It's got nothing to do with all different types of religions going up different sides of the mountains and getting there. There's a lot of religions that are going up different sides of the mountain, and they're going to find out they fall off and end up in hell. It's got nothing to do with That includes this church. It's got nothing to do with religion. It's got to do with a person. And the way to the Father who is in heaven, by Jesus Christ's own words, is through him. And that is the only way to the Father. No one will ever get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. Exclusive? Yes. But true. It still raises a question for me. While he is a spirit being, how then can he have a real place to be, since he's not restricted by time and space? Well, he is a spirit being, and he does have a real place where he resides, and his glory is disclosed, and that is called heaven. And we are given some pictures of that in scripture. This is not the point of this morning's message. It is glorious. 
Only the righteous will be there, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ and what we just celebrated, his substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf. We are given the righteousness of Christ when we trust in him. So there is a place, and Jesus is the only one. So when we pick it up in the conversation, we are not surprised at what we are going to come to since Jesus Christ is the only way to him. And we pick it up now in verse 7, what we read, if you, and by the way, I should mention this to you, this is a plural. He has, Thomas has asked the question, and Jesus Christ has responded to it in verse 6. But when you come to verse 7, he moves from a singular to a plural. We don't always get that in English because the word you and you is used both singular and plural. But this is a plural. He's now addressing the entire disciples is what I'm trying to say to you. And he says, if you, the disciples, had known me, you would have known my father also. The conversation goes back to the whole group. And he says this, if you understood who I was, then, conclusion, you would understand who the father is. If you knew me, you would know the father. And he's, he is, in my opinion, giving them a mild rebuke because they should have known this. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And then he says this, and by the way, if I can stop there for one second, that is a clear, it may not be in your mind, but it is a clear designation of his deity. To know Jesus Christ is to know the Father. How can that be? Remember what we looked at in Matthew? This is God in the flesh. God manifested. That is the reason, folks, do not be fooled in the world that you are living in in the 21st century. It is very easy to claim that people know Jesus Christ when they really don't. All they know is facts about him. Last evening, we had a get-together, and by God's grace, he opened up an opportunity for a few words that I was able to have with a lady who reminds me somewhat of my mother uh, and so forth. And uh, as we were talking, and I knew her background, I shared a little bit of my background and was sharing with her that I knew a lot of facts about Jesus Christ when I was growing up. I knew the fact that Jesus Christ came and I believed it. I knew Jesus Christ died on the cross. I believed it. I believe he died for my sins. I knew that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I believed that. I was taught that, all of that, but I was still unsaved. I was still lost. I was still not on my way to heaven. How can you believe all those things and not be on your way to heaven? Because I still saw it that he opened the gates of heaven so that if I was good enough, and I hoped I would be, and if I was obeying the right commandments and did what I could, maybe I can get into heaven. That's not the way it works. So that's what I found out. And the truth is that, yes, he did all of those things, but faith in Jesus Christ is believing simply that I am lost and I can do nothing. All men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why we all will face death that are in this room. All mankind will. That's the penalty of sin. And how do you get out of that? Well, the way is through Jesus Christ, and only through Jesus Christ, he satisfied the righteousness of God in his death. So it was personal. That is why while there were three on the cross, when Jesus died and there was two next to him, one died, went to hell, one died, went to heaven. They never got down from the cross, either one of them, and did anything good. They never got down from the cross and were baptized. They never got down on the cross from the cross and did anything. One, they were both murderers. They were both thieves, according to the word of God. One went to heaven. How? Simply by placing his faith in the person in the middle, that is Jesus Christ, when he said, remember me when you come into my kingdom. And he said, today you will be with me. You see, nothing to do with works. 
everything to do with the person of Christ. So just because they throw around the name Jesus doesn't mean much. It's got to be that they have understood who Jesus Christ is and faith is in Jesus Christ who is God. Very God. And a lot of people will not accept Jesus Christ as God. That's their problem. There's no need for Christmas if, he's, if it wasn't God that took on flesh. No need whatsoever. And you'll notice he says this, that from now on you will know him and have seen him. Perfect tense. It is going to have continuous results. From now on they're going to see him and they will continue to. And it, and it leads us to the statement in verse 8 where Philip now, we go from Thomas to the whole group where he's addressing them, and then Philip still doesn't get it. I'm glad he didn't because it helps us today. And Philip says, which is the title for this message this morning, he says to him in verse 8, show us the Father. And he's basically saying, show us the Father in what? It's enough. If he could show us the Father, if he could give us a visual manifestation, why? That's what we are all looking for. I want to see God. And Philip, who has been with them all this time, says, just give us a physical manifestation of God, and that's enough. That will secure, if you will, that will assure the faith that we have. They wanted to see something visual. And it's just like we are. We want to see something. God tells us to walk by faith. He tells us to put our faith in him. But we want evidence. We, we are of a material nature. We want that. And they wanted that. And it's not unusual. And when he's talking about us, by the way, you notice the switch. He said it's enough for us. Peter, Philip asked the question, but he's asking in behalf of all of them. And he's really asking in behalf of us today by application. People want more assurance than just putting faith in words. They want to see something. And by the way, that's not to be a put down of Philip. John the Baptist was the same way, right? He's the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet, even while in prison, he says, is he really the one? Go back and find out for me, please. And I'm paraphrasing. You know that. It's not any different. Jacob wanted to see God. Moses wanted to see God. We all want to see God. It's the same type of thing you want to see over and over again. So we look for that. But Jesus does give him the answer, and this is what we're going to see this morning. He doesn't leave him hanging. He answers him. How does he answer him? In the three ways that I outlined in your, in your outline in the bulletin. He says, you want to see God? Here's the way. Number one, look at me. Number two, and by the way, I'm not talking about me. This is the words of Jesus. Look at me, he says. Two, he says, listen to me. And the third thing he basically says in these few verses is, even after you've looked and even after you've listened, consider what you've observed in the works that I've done. All of it will tell you that you've seen the Father. You will see that right now. So let's look at it. Let's look at Jesus. That's what he says. As we go on in the text, he says, Have I, verse 9, been so long with you? Now consider that. He's been ministering to him for three and a half years. And yet, have you not come to know me, Philip? You see that, by the way? Catch this much today. Remember I said earlier, a lot of people know a lot of things about Jesus Christ. He had been with Jesus Christ. He knew about Jesus Christ. He knew where he was from. He knew what his miracles were. He knew all of this. But he's saying that intimate way. If I've been with you all this time and you really don't understand who I am, you don't know me, Philip? You see? He goes on. He who has seen me, what does he say? Has seen the Father. 
To see Jesus is to see God. He's dealing with all the disciples there as well. He answers Philip, but he's saying it to all of them. Why is that so? Because God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that is still hard for us to comprehend, honestly, to think about someone coming into the world who's God, who's a spirit, and yet that's exactly what he's been teaching them. How is this possibly true? I want you to see it with your own eyes. Go with me, first of all, to what he's already taught them in John. Go with me to John chapter 12 and see what he's already said in verses 44 and verse 45. Verse 44 and verse 45. Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me. That doesn't sound right. But in him that sent me. That's his point. You're not just believing in me as a person, but the one that sent me. Verse 45. He who what? Sees me, sees the one who sent me. He's already taught them this. If you see me, you have seen the one who sent me. Who sent me? The Father. For God so loved the world. Many people know that, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent. God sent. If you see me, you see the one who sent me. That is the Father. That is God. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Stay with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is vital. We want to see God. We want to be sure. And by the way, if somebody happened to be passing through, visiting today, uh, whatever, uh, you've, you know, whatever this case might be, uh, this is something that we need to know. You shouldn't believe anything I say. Nothing. Check it out for yourself. Never, ever believe somebody because they're on the radio or standing in a pulpit. Check it out for yourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look what it says, verse 4. It says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why is he blinding their minds? Here it is. So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Watch this. Who is the image of God. Man has been created in God's image, but Jesus Christ is. He wasn't created in the image of God. He is the image of God. He is the exact representation. God who is spirit, God who is not restricted by time and space, if God were to enter into this world of time and space, which he did, he would look like and be who? Jesus Christ. He is the image. He is the representation. You see, and that's what the light of the gospel is. Satan in this world does not want people to come to understand that Jesus, gospel means good news. There was a lot of good news in that stable in Bethlehem. And the good news that the shepherds were told is that God had sent his son. The savior of the world had come in. And the world doesn't want that. We are living in a day and age in the 21st century where multiculturalism is the norm. We have to accept and believe everything that everybody says. Listen, this world that we are living in says that there's basically no truth. Everything's gray or everything's a little bit of shaded this way. There is truth. And Jesus Christ is the truth. 
We need to understand that there is right and wrong. Don't you ever bring your children up thinking that there's no right and wrong. Well, if that's the case, let them do whatever they want. And unfortunately, I mean what I say here, a lot of parents are doing that with the kids. They're letting them do anything they want. And what are you going to end up with? An undisciplined child that later on will get themselves in trouble in society. There are right and wrongs. And if you don't believe there are, I don't, and this is on tape, I don't want you to do this, but if you don't believe that there are truths and there are rights and wrongs, I suggest you attempt getting in your car and driving down the highway 100 miles an hour, but watch for a blue light because he's going to show you that there is right and wrong. And I spoke to somebody recently, by the way, who had just fixed their car and they wanted to take it for about a 200-yard stretch, and so they floored it, and it cost them $400. In fact, when they went to court, they had to appear in court because they were going so fast in that little stretch. I, I, I got this firsthand from the person. They had to go to court because they were debating whether to charge them with driving, endangering, and taking it to a different level because they were going so fast on that 200-yard stretch. Fortunately, since it was the first offense, they said, no, but we're going to charge you 400 bucks. Wow. There is a right and wrong. And there is a truth about God. And the world isn't going to give it to you. But here we see is the image of God. Well, maybe that's the only place he says it. Turn with me to the book of Colossians. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. A couple of other quick verses. I hope you're getting the points. Colossians chapter 1. Is this just one writer that says this? Is it just something that this church is making up? Is it, what is this? Who is this person, Jesus Christ? Why is it that Philip should have understood this? It's abundant in scripture, really, for us. Colossians chapter 1, let me pick it up in verse 15. Follow along with me. Watch this. He's talking about, by the way, in case you don't understand it, look at verse, seven, uh, verse 13. At the end of the verse, he's talking about his beloved son. That is Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. We said that. We can't see God. We want to see God. He's the image of the invisible God. And if we don't understand who he is, by the way, all things, you can look at it, verse 16, all things in heaven and earth, they've all been created by him. doesn't matter whether it's angels, uh, thrones, dominions, whatever it is, all been created by him, for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Only God could say that. Who's he talking about, though? The second person, the Son. That's why it's a triune Godhead. He is also the head of the body, that is the church. That's why it isn't run by pastors. It isn't run by elders. It's not run by priests. It's not run by rabbis. It's not run by ministers. The church of Jesus Christ is run by Jesus Christ. He's the head. He's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to the first place in everything. Who's he talking about? Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not sure that really means that he's the imp. Go with me to chapter 2 of Colossians. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. See to it that no one takes you captive through, watch this, philosophy and empty deception. According, watch this, to the traditions of men. One of the things that as I grew older, and I'll be honest with you, that's one of the struggles I've had when I first became a believer. As I met and, and, and saw other believers and I saw what they were holding on to with traditions, with my background, I had come out of a religion that was filled with traditions, and when I got saved, I didn't want to hear any of the fundamental traditions or whatever. Not that you throw them all out, 
But there is so much that even Christianity gets caught up that's tradition and really not in accord with the word of God. There's many things that are consistent, but you need to be careful. He says here, don't be caught up with philosophy, empty deception, traditions of men, verse 8, look at it, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Now watch this. Why am I to be careful? For in him, in who? Christ. All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You cannot get any clearer. Even a second grader can understand what that just said. We may not be able to comprehend it, but we can hear it and understand this much, that what he's saying is, if you want to see God, who is spirit, in bodily form, look to Jesus Christ. This, these aren't the only verses. I have other verses down, such as Hebrews. God's spoken through us to the prophets and so forth. Now he's spoken to us by his son, who is the image. He is the exact representation of God. Philippians chapter 2, the verses just before the verses on the side wall, uh, uh, just after that, excuse me, what does he say? We're to have the same mind that was in Jesus Christ, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he is God. That birth in Bethlehem is so significant. Why is it that all the other children that come, I, I praise the Lord for my grandchildren, I praise the Lord for my children, I praise the Lord when I see other children come, I, if you know me well, I could have 600 kids. That's an exaggeration, and my wife's glad that we don't. But my point is I love kids, and when kids come into the world, I get excited. I do. I really do. But why is it that this birth was above all the other births? Because this was God coming into a world that he created, taking on flesh, and Philip, look at me. I am the exact representation of God. If you want to see what God looks like, look at me, he says. And it's interesting because the passage in John that you read, 1 John, remember what he said? We've seen him. We've touched him. We've been with him day in, day out. That's 1 John chapter 1. We read it this morning, so I won't take the time to go there. You see, God's man was not, uh, so, sorry, God's plan was not to wait for men to see how perfect they could become or to wait on a scale of good works. You know what's going to happen? Two things, if you're honest with yourself. One, you will die and never, that's one. There's actually three things. One, you will die. Two, you will never know whether or not you did enough good works to get to heaven. I'll save you the time. You won't. You can't do enough good works to get to heaven. Can't do it. You can't do it. Man will never do enough good works because it's not by works that we have done. And as we come to this time of season, I love it because Christmas presents are a present. They are a gift. And God's gift of salvation came through Jesus Christ. He came to this world not waiting for men to become perfect because they never will be perfect. How do you take care of all the things that you've done in the past? By penance? No. The only way it gets taken care of is by a perfect sacrifice. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So God's plan wasn't to wait for some man or woman to be perfect. God's plan was to intervene into that which he created and come and take on flesh himself and go to the cross and pay the penalty and price for sin and give salvation to those who would believe. That's why it's not of works lest any man should boast. Salvation is a gift of God. Jesus Christ says, look at me. 
I am the representation. How in the world is Pastor Dan going to get the other two verses in in five or ten minutes? I will, somehow. Second thing he says is listen to him. Not only can we see him, but he said just listen to Jesus. Look at what he said. Verse 10. Oh, I'm still in Colossians. Sorry, I've got to get back to John. John chapter 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? We work in this together. Notice what he now says. The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative. Why? Because he and the Father, he came from heaven. But the Father abiding in me does his works. If you just don't believe what I say, what you should do is believe what you've heard. It implies, by the way, that they should have known. Why? That they're mutually in one another. I'll give you some verses just in John. You mark them down. John chapter 10, verse 38 and verse 30. He's already taught them that he doesn't do anything unless it's in conjunction with the Father, and the Father doesn't do anything unless it's in conjunction with the Son. Why? Because they're one and the same. He's already taught them. What has he been teaching them that they should have known? Let me just remind you, those of you that have been here. He used statements like, John 14.6, ego eimi, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. What else has he said? I am. You want to know who I am? I am the bread of life. You want to know who I am? I am the good shepherd. You want to know who I am? I am the door. You want to know who I am? I am the resurrection and the life. He's been teaching them the I am's right in their presence. He said, if you can't accept me for looking at me, think of what I have been teaching you. Even Moses said, who am I going to say sent me? Tell him I am sent me. Jesus Christ says, I am the I am. I am the life. I've been teaching you that. He's been teaching them in this book. Turn to one chapter in John for a second. Go to John chapter 6. This is amazing to me. Just in one chapter, and this is just to show you this morning. He has been teaching them this. What has he been teaching them? He's teaching them that I came from God. Can you and I say that when we were born, can I go back in my life and say, when I was born, and it was a Clover Hill Hospital, which is no longer there. The building's there, but the hospital's not there. Can I say that when I was born, I came down from heaven? No. I came from the seat of my father. Jesus Christ came from heaven. Are you sure? Watch. Very quickly. Stay with me. This is the electric pencil here. All right, here we go. John, just chapter 6, verse 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven. Is that what it says? Yes. Go to verse 38. For I have come down out from heaven. Go to verse 41. He says, therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down out of heaven. Go to verse 50. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. Where did he come from? You got it? And by the way, I'm not done. I'll stop here. But it still goes on. If you don't think so, look at first, verse 58. And it continues on in the chapter. His point was, I came from heaven. He's been teaching his disciples that. If you haven't understood it by looking at me, you should be able to do it by what I taught. And anyone who objectively looks at the teachings of Jesus Christ cannot come to the conclusion 
By the way, intelligent unbelievers have said this. You can't possibly look at the teaching of Jesus and just stop at the conclusion that he was some good man that was a good teacher because his teachings were far superior to anything that any man has ever said. In fact, wasn't it the Jewish leaders that says, you know, we've listened to him. No man ever spoke like that before. His teachings were amazing. You need perfect righteousness to get to heaven. Who teaches that? You don't have any righteousness, but I'll give it to you. Who teaches that? You've committed adultery in your heart when you've lusted after a woman. Who's teaching that? You've killed somebody when you started hating them in your heart. Who's teaching that? Jesus Christ. Those standards are God's standards. You got the point? The, and let me say this to you, fellow believers. That should be encouraging to you. You know why? We haven't seen Jesus Christ, but our faith is not a blind faith. Our faith is built upon solid.